Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and I'll be your host. What I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes, luminaries from the sports science community, and as come to be expected, I'll also provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sport and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. So sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Once again, I've got my dear friend Joseph Gray on the line with us, and Joseph Gray is a phenom when it comes to mountain running. He won the World Mountain Running Championships in 2016. He's the American record holder for the Mount Washington Road Race, and in 2016, August, he uh, won the Pikes Peak Ascent in a time of 2.05, which is the fastest climb in, geez, a long time. Joe, say hello to our audience, please. Hey, how how are you doing, everybody? Uh, thanks, Richard, for uh, having me again. Uh, it's been a while, so um, but yeah, thank you for everybody listening in. I appreciate the support. Joe, so you got uh, you got quite a year behind you. You won the uh, World Mountain Running Championships. I mean, I can go through a laundry list of things that you've done over the course of the last year with great success. Man, my my hats off to you. I'm very proud of you, my brother. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Of all the things that you went through last year, what do you lean most heavily on? What What is the thing that was on your bucket list that you wanted to get done and you feel the most proud about? Um, that's tough. Um, I had, well, there was a couple, there were about three races last year that were um, really important for me to come back to and, uh, prove to myself, not only, you know, to others, but to myself mostly that I could perform well at these races. Um, I guess in synchronization, the first one was, well, the mountain running championship was definitely, uh, was really important for me and was a big win for me. Uh, but just before that, the Pikes peak, uh, the ascent, um, last time I had, I did it, I came into the race, um, you know, uh, I was a little bit beat up. I had a really big mountain race the week before, or not even a week before, about six days before. And then I had to do international travel to get back to Pikes. And so I was kind of fried coming into it. And I ran all right. Everyone, you know, a lot of people said I ran well, but I lost to some people whom uh, I know I shouldn't have lose, you know, I shouldn't have lost to. And so I was a little disappointed in myself for just not competing, uh, not being able to compete and putting my myself in a position where I could not compete. Um, at my best. And so it was important for me to return this year and show, you know, show myself that I can come here and I can, you know, I can crush this race and, and this race is, um, something I can excel at. And so, uh, that was the first one. And then the world championships was the next big one, uh, for me because, um, you know, I had never won the world mountain running championship and I'd been there. I'd represented team USA about, you know, nine years in a row. Uh, I had led the U S team a couple times there, but even then, you know, the men's team, the best team medal we had was silver at that point. <clears throat> and so, um, and I had led the team for that silver medal. And so this year was real special, especially on the uphill years, because the uphill years are really tough. You know, you get the athletes where it's really about um, grit and, and just pure fitness and, uh, 
and how much pain you can really put yourself into. Whereas up and down years, you might get an athlete who's just crazy enough to run the downhill fast enough, may not be the most fit athlete there, but just has good technique or just not afraid of the downhill. So it's not so much about fitness. So, you know, the uphill years, you'll usually get a lot of Africans and you'll get a lot more uh, top Europeans coming. And so it's, it's a tough year to win it, especially as a team. And so this, you know, that was really special for us to win that. And then, you know, even more so that I was able to win it individually um, after, you know, nine attempts um, being on the team, U.S. team. And so, and then after that, I guess to end the year, um, the Xterra championship, uh, I've had, you know, some real up and downs there. Um, you know, one year I was real disappointed because of, um, you know, they, they, they guided me off course and uh, lost the lead. And then I had to fight back to the lead. And then coming into the last hundred meters, uh, there was a, an official that ran into me and then, you know, I pretty much like went to a standing still. And so then another athlete almost caught me and then he caught me right at the line. So then they, you know, it ended up being called a tie. And so, you know, the, the one time that I was able to win it, I had to share it with someone. And then I went back the next year and I got, got my butt handed to me. And so this year, um, it was really important for me to, to show up and, and do something big because I was going to be going against the same guy that handed me my butt the, the, the last time I was there. And so it had been a few years since I'd been back. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, I came out and, um, you know, ran a good race and, um, was able to drop, uh, you know, the athlete who beat me a couple of years ago. And it was a pretty special moment for me just because, um, he had beat me pretty handily and, and I felt like, um, uh, it was going to be tough to beat him. And, and it was a tough race. We went out real hard. Uh, we were way ahead of the record pace. And, but then once you get to the mud, uh, it slowed us down a little bit, but definitely one of the hardest races I've had all year. Um, and, uh, definitely a hard fought, uh, championship. Cause that was also, that was the Xterra trail running world championship. So yeah, I guess the, the best, that was the, kind of the highlights of the year for me, the biggest highlights and being able to win those two world titles and, and, uh, then, you know, come back and just kind of improve upon what I had done in the past at all of those races. Cool. So just for the uh, the novices to the sport, the people that are not real clear on what this is all about, can you give us a, kind of a, an overview of what the course is like for the Pikes Peak Ascent? Uh, yeah. So Pikes Peak Ascent, you know, it, it starts um, starts at pretty good out, good, good high altitude about, 6,500 feet or so. Yep. And, um, and then it goes up almost 8,000 feet to the top of uh, Pikes Peak, which is sits at 14,100, uh, uh, I believe. So it's 8,000 feet of elevation gain over the course of the, of the run. Right. Oh, gosh. And it's tough, you know, once you get, um, you know, in those last few miles, it's really exposed, it's real dry, and, you know, not to mention you're over 12,000 feet. So, uh, it's a real tough, challenging race. And what is the distance traveled? Uh, 13 and a quarter miles. Okay, and you did it in two hours and five minutes. Yeah, well, in reality, I did it in 204. What happened was I missed the start. Um, I was trying to – I put my clothes down, and um, I was coming back to get them, and uh, people had you know, started putting their clothes over there for the shuttle for the top. And uh, I couldn't find my bag, so then the gun goes off, and I just threw my stuff off and ran to the start line. And so 
I was about a minute almost uh, behind the pack uh, at the start. And then, um, you know, according to my watch, like just my split time, I was 204. But, uh, you know, ultimately it didn't matter because, you know, 205 was good enough for the day. Yeah, well, apparently. So it's <laughs> you, uh, let's see, we're looking at uh, 21 years. Is that right? 21 years since uh, someone even got near that time? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know what the, what the time frame is, but it, yeah, I was happy with the time though. It's a good time. Definitely on that course, especially now because, um, you know, the, the course is a lot more rutted out just from all the, the big rainstorms we've had, but even the, the last three miles are way worse than the first time I ever ran pikes, um, just for training when I had visited Colorado Springs years ago. And uh, now you're doing a lot more rock hopping Wow. back in the day. It was more running. Wow. Okay, so I got some technical questions for you, if you don't mind. And and I promised you I'd stay general. I'm not going to get weird with you. And and uh, you know, if something you don't want to answer, don't answer it. You know, and totally totally up to you. But a couple things I'd like to know. First of all, talk to me about your diet. Are you kind of on a seafood plan? You just kind of eat when you're hungry and, and no special considerations, or, or are you pretty dedicated to to a, a particular path? And if so, what's that look like? Um, no, you know, I, it's kind of strange, but like, I really just kind of eat based on cravings. Um, and I, I think there's something to be said about that. Like, uh, you know, if, if I remember one time I was traveling, um, in Japan for a little while and, uh, hadn't had any meat for like two days. And, and all of a sudden I just had this real strong urge for, for beef and, you know, for steak. And so, uh, the next day I pretty much ate nothing but meat. And, you know, there's days where I'll eat, you know, dessert or ice cream or pie. I just eat kind of whatever I'm feeling like eating. And I, I just kind of let my body tell me what I need to eat. Um, but yeah, so I really don't have any like real restrictions. Um, I got a pretty versatile diet in terms of like, a, there's a lot of stuff that I do like and not a lot that I don't like. And so, um, uh, I try to keep it that way just because I know, you know, I'm going to probably travel places where food is different. And if I have a strict diet, then, you know, I'm kind of SOL because I can't get what I want. And so I always try to make sure I can just eat whatever's available uh, and whatever's like local to that, wherever I am racing or wherever I'm training. So bottom line, you eat as much as you feel like you need or to satisfy your hunger and you eat when you feel like you need to eat. Yeah, yeah, I just, you know, just let my body tell me what I need to do. If you had a guess, how many calories do you think you get a day? Oh, man, I remember the other night uh, we had this real hard workout. And, um, you know, me and my wife, we had dinner. And then uh, I had kind of a chase for some, some burgers. So we went to this burger place. And I ended up, I was just counting up. I was just curious. And I don't typically do this, but I was just, like, curious um, how many calories I eat. And I, just for dinner, it was over 3000. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, only, you know, that was just the first part of dinner. So it was like, that wasn't even all the dinner. So I was like, there's no reason for me to keep counting at this point. You ever eat at the cheesecake factory? Oh yeah. You know what I hate about that place is they, they always put the calories next to the meal, you know, on the menu. And you're looking yeah. at it and going, no, man, really? There's that many? Oh, sh- nah. And then you eat it anyway, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't even get it. I don't understand why restaurants need to do that. I mean, if you want to know, you know, 
there should be a file that they can pull up and give it to you, but I don't need to see that when I'm at a restaurant. I want to enjoy my food. It just craps you out, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, so you're probably getting, on average, let me guess, let's say that through a typical day of training is on point, you're probably getting about five, 6,000, you figure? Yeah, I would say that's probably safe. I mean, definitely after a hard day, um, you know, it's just hard to stop eating. Uh, so I would say that's an easy number to hit when you've been training hard for most people probably. Yeah, or most people who are about my size, I would say. I'm not like the, the skinniest guy in the world either. So. Well, I was going to put that into perspective for people listening. So, how tall and how much do you weigh? Um, I'm about 160 and 62. Okay. All right. So that's a pretty good body weight for your size, especially given the sport you're involved in. Yeah, I mean, I think my my BMI is usually around 20, 21, and and I feel like I race better when it's there rather than if I was like 18 or 19 and malnourished and on the verge of getting injured. Let's talk about training volume. I, I, I mean, I got a couple of things. These are curiosities of my own, but I'm sure people like to hear this as well. Uh, my first question is, do you spend any time anymore training on a track? Uh, yeah, on occasion, um, definitely for cross country season. I'm in cross country season right now. So um, I'll definitely hop on the track here and there. Um, not my favorite place to be, but, uh, you know, the, the group that I run with every now and then they have track work. And, and so I'll join in on that. When you are on the track, what's your focus? Uh, you know, focus is, is really just for me anyway. I mean, it might be different for the other guys, but for me, it's really just about uh, learning how to run fast, um, and just being consistent, not having a workout where, your times are fluctuating, you know, six and seven seconds. You know, uh, I think you should be very consistent throughout the workout. And, and a track is a perfect place to do that because you don't have to worry about terrain. Do you uh, spend any attention dedicated to your actual form while you're running? Uh, not really. No, not not too much. Um, you know, I think for me what I've found, you know, obviously form does matter. But uh, if you try to tweak it too much, you can definitely um, – Risking injured um, is, is a big thing is when you try to change something too much. But, I, you know, I think the most important thing is to make sure uh, when you're breaking down in form and you're tired, trying to make sure you're still efficient. Um, I mean, I guess that is, is something that I do pay attention to, uh, and that's sort of like form. But um, in terms of, like, you know, showing video and, and looking at stuff, you know, looking at my form and really analyzing it, uh, at this point in my career, I don't really do anything like that. Well, my guess is, given that you have, uh, well, let's face it, we're we're talking about a 19-time national team member. <laughs> You've been at this a long time. I wouldn't think that you have to go back to the drawing board very often. Um, I, I guess the question is more intriguing in respect to those that are trying to figure out how to run um, and whether there's some some need for it. And, and I guess I was I was baiting you a little bit because I like to believe that. Uh, the track, and I like to refer to it as flat response. You know, you're, you're not old enough to probably remember the old dials on the the receivers of a stereo, but when all the dials are turned to zero, so that you're not having too much influence by tone, balance, bass, it's just what they call flat response. So you essentially, uh, the the analogy here is you remove the environment, you remove all the factors that are influencing the way you're moving. So you're basically on a flat surface with no ex external influences where you can dial in and work on what ha what happens within you. 
And a lot of people just don't know how to run well, and as a result, they get injured. So uh, my my thinking is that regardless of the type of terrain that you're going to end up running on, somewhere along the way, you need to have that, uh, let's call it a come-to-Jesus meeting, where you're making a point to get what you're doing correct. Any thoughts on that at all? Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're speaking to speaking the truth there in terms of, um, you know, for me, I, I don't think I need to work on it right now, you know, here and there, little tweaks and, and exercises. But uh, for the most part, if you're not getting injured, then, you know, then if it's not broken, then don't, you know, there's nothing to be fixed. However, when you have an athlete who keeps on getting injuries, then you have to try to tweak their form a little bit to figure out what is it that's causing these issues. And, you know, I'm I'm just like anyone else. I've had my injuries and I've had to obviously tweak my, um, you know, my form and really pay attention to certain things. Uh, and it, then it becomes kind of, you know, nature and you just do it naturally. And so it's not something that you need to focus on as much anymore. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, you're so, I mean, I would say you're definitely right. Like if you're having injury issues, uh, it's, it's important. And even, you know, as you get older, maybe you're finding it harder to get PRs. And so um, making yourself more efficient and working on your form um, becomes important. Yeah, absolutely. The other question I had in respect to essentially training globally, what do you get is an average volume weekly? You know, let's just say that you're in season, but you're not in in the heat of competition. What kind of volume are you getting leading up to competition? Uh, it really fluctuates. I mean, you know, in cross-country season, it's obviously different than in mountain season because, you know, in mountain season, 80 miles in a week um, is, is pretty sufficient in terms of you're running a lot more slower miles. You're going uphill or you're coming down technical terrain, and so – uh, it might take you two hours just to run 10 miles. And so you're not going to be running, you know, 140 mile hour weeks because you would not have a day. Uh, you know, you wouldn't have much time in your life, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I would say anywhere from 80 to 110 uh, miles would be, you know, what I, what I see most of the year. So in most endurance sports where running is the deal, what would you say is kind of a limiting factor volume wise? I know there's a lot of guys that are under the idea that they can get in 25 miles a week and be successful in events in and around the half marathon distance. And I don't believe that to be true. What's your thought? Uh, well, it depends on what their idea of success is. You know, um, if, if my idea is just to run two hours for a half marathon, sure. I could run 10 miles a week on that. You know, it's no problem. Now, if you want to be the best that you can be, or, or you're talking about like a professional level athlete or, or internationally ranked athlete, then yeah, 25 miles a week probably wouldn't cut it uh, for a half marathon. No, I don't think so either. All right, so my last technical question for you, and I appreciate you've do, you've done a good job with this, and so far I'm getting away with it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my 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 question on terrain. Now, I I always hear the term when you read some of these reviews of performances on mountain they talk that the term i hear a lot is bombing down the hill now and i think you've even used it yourself in conversation with me but when you say bombing down the hill would you relate that as being a heavy cadence or just diving down come hither and just trying to keep your legs moving what what would you consider generally speaking a good approach to uh pretty aggressive downhill running I would say it's a mixture of the both. Um, 
if it's, a, I mean, now, are we, if you're talking like a really smooth paved trail, then obviously, you know, heavy being heavy is not a good thing. But when you're talking about an extremely technical course, you're going to have a mixture of both. You're going to, you know, you're going to have some areas where you're floating through pretty quick. And then we're going to have to get heavy because you're going to be planting or, or making a, a twist or a turn that, you know, requires more muscle mass. And so, um, I think I tend to believe, you know, you got to use a little bit of both. Okay. All right. So to be clear, what you're suggesting, see now, I like to see guys when they're not being influenced by terrain, meaning up or down, that I like to see them floating around 180 strides per minute. So putting it into context on a downhill, would you say that you, and when I say downhill, let me be more clear. If you were like over, say, 30% grade, 25% grade coming down, would you be above or below around 180 on average? Uh, you uh, you definitely be below. Um, I mean, if you were that fast, you wouldn't be running. Uh, or if you were able to run with that kind of cadence coming downhill on, on such a grade, I mean, you would be moving. Um, but that would probably have to be a pretty smooth trail because if it was technical, it would be pretty difficult to hold that for any, you know, extended period of time. I'm sure you could do it for, you know, you know, stints, 10 seconds, five seconds here and there, but it's not something you're going to hold for like, you know, an hour. Okay. All right. So now I guess the questions for you, Joe, I hope I, I appreciate you being patient. The strength training component, do you spend much time in the gym? Do you do some functional strength training? You do any weight training? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've stopped doing that as much. Um, I, I guess what I've found is that if you're putting in enough work with the running, uh, it does tend to help with both of those things. Now, um, I guess it's different from someone if you're doing a different type of running. You know, if you're doing a running race where uh, you're, you're need, you know, like OCR type running, uh, you know, maybe weights would be more uh, necessary. Uh, for running fast, you know, I just don't see the top athletes in the gym. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with, you know, some very good runners in my in my past, and you know, I just don't see them doing that. And it started to make me wonder if, if maybe that's the reason why, you know, we're overtrained, we're tired a lot of times in the American distance running um, because we're focused on things that, you know, other cultures do not focus on. And, you know, it's almost like we're wasting our time uh, it's inefficient. It's like, you know, get good at what you're doing and rather than trying to do something that doesn't really, uh, it's not really relevant to your sport. Okay. That's a good answer. And I, and I think I concur. I think that there's probably the, the nervous nature of feeling like you're not covering all the bases causes people to do things that are probably inefficient and potentially draining more so than beneficial. I think that's yes. Now, now, granted, I, I do think um, as you uh, compete in more anaerobic type events, uh, anaerobic threshold type events, I think weights can be important. You know, when you see guys getting on the track, uh, running 5K, 3K um, mile, I think a little bit of weights could be important for those types of events because now you're looking at um, running paces that are uh, very similar to your sprint speed. And so, uh, to be able to hold that sprint speed, you do need a lot of power. Now, when you're doing mountain running and trail stuff, uh, a lot of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is very similar to weights. And so it's almost like, you know, would a sprinter lift weights every day? Probably not. And, and it's the same thing. It's like with mountain running, you're already kind of doing 
somewhat of, of weightlifting um, uh, resistance work almost every day when you're in the trails. And so do you really want to add additional weights and break down those muscle fibers even more? And, um, and you know, for me, the, the answer would be no. Now, maybe it works for some other athletes, but for me, I've found that it just it's not been um, beneficial. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm just fascinated by all this, so I ask a lot of questions. Again, I appreciate your patience. Do you find that uh, you have better success with your training if you do split workouts, or do you essentially load your work up in the morning or in the afternoon, or even a better question might be what part of the day is best for you? Uh, for hard stuff? Uh, just commonly, I guess, if you were to put it across the board. Um, I think I, I prefer to work out in the morning. Um I think it works out better for me just because I'm the kind of person when I wake up, I'm ready to go. Uh, and as the day goes on, you know, the way my diet works, I'm like, like eating bigger and bigger and bigger meals. And so for me, it just, it's better that I work out harder in the morning than as opposed to at night. Okay. And you're at altitude now. You live in Colorado, right? Yeah, we spend a lot of time here. Yep. And how much time do you spend at altitude? Well, you're probably living in altitude, but I guess altitude's kind of a relative term for you. <laughs> I think relative for you, uh, uh, 11, 12,000 feet, a little bit of training that way. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I don't spend a lot of time training up real high uh, most of the year. You know, I have a maybe a couple of weeks where I would say up per year where maybe I'm training pretty high, but, you know, getting ready for specific really high altitude races. But, for the most part, you know, um, you know, I'm traveling and, you know, spend, I'd like to, I like to make sure I'm at sea level here and there too, just to, to make sure I'm getting efficient, yeah. um, with my running and cause it's tough to be efficient at altitude. Uh, you know, you start falling apart pretty quick yeah. uh, when you're running hard. And so, um, but yeah, most of the year I'm definitely, you know, in Colorado. Wow. Now do you use, you know, I talked to you a while back about purchasing a treadmill and, right. Yeah. I'm assuming that sometime or, or another you, you managed to land one. And I guess my question is, do you have a treadmill with uh, excessive incline on it? I don't um, use that now, but I have one that can go up to, I think, 15. 15% grade? Yeah. Okay. Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I, 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 I believe in treadmills, you know, I mean, many years before I met you, but when I first started getting into mountain running because um, I was training in Oklahoma for my first, the first team that I made, I think a lot of my training was in Oklahoma. And, um, and then when I went back to Washington, you know, I didn't live in the mountains. And so I used to treadmill a lot and I had some success. You know, I won some races obviously and made some national teams and won some national titles. But what I found was I benefited more from, kind of avoiding the treadmill yeah. uh, and, and being able to run. I mean, if I could find a hill that was 5%, you know, on dirt, I found that to be more um, conducive to fast running on a trail as opposed to running on a treadmill. Because what happened was <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I, I actually have a really good example. So I had been training on a treadmill uh, most of the summer. And then I went to go do my first Euro tour of racing and you know, as you know, over there, there's a lot of courses that are, um, they're very steep. Um, they're technical. They're not like really runnable or smooth. And so <laughs> the race is going and I'm going on good, you know, I'm crushing these guys and 
and uh, I'm running real well. We get to this really steep section near the end, and all of a sudden, because I'm not used to the terrain, and I, you know, I'm not used to running uh, hard for this long on this type of terrain, I'm like falling to the side. I'm wobbling. You know, I'm not running a straight line anymore, and I'm completely just I'm I'm folded. You know, I'm just out of it. And and from that point on, I realized like, you know. The treadmill, it's a great tool, I guess, if you have nothing to do at all. But even still, it's not the best tool because it's better to be outside and be in the terrain and, and actually dealing with the elements and, you know, having your your feet and your ankle having to change movements and uh, even your hips having to change movements. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, from that point on, I've always tried to make sure I'm working out outside. And so uh, I've had a lot more success, you know, after those few years you know, with the shift in my training, making sure that I'm on terrain rather than, uh, you know, counting on a, on a treadmill. We talked about, I think it was the uh, Mount Washington road race. Yeah, uh, great example. Yeah, and that uh, that has some really steep parts in it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, really steep stuff. Yeah, especially now we're uh, talking about 40% grade thereabouts? I wouldn't say that much, Rich. I would say... Um, you do have some extended periods at like 20, 21. Um, and then, you know, near the end, you have a, you have a couple of hairpins that are, you know, in the upper twenties, maybe even 30. And then the last, uh, the last bit, the last, you know, two minutes or so really, really steep. Um, which, you know, that might approach 40%. Yeah. Now I guess the reason I'm, again, I'm baiting you, there's a lot of guys that have been chasing down the idea of getting on an incline trainer, in you know at home which is pushing 40% grade and they basically march up this thing and my theory is that that really doesn't transcend very well into in better running efficiency or mechanics what's your thought no i agree with you um i one of my but you know tim Sennett, obviously yes sir he tagged me in in a post uh and and they were talking about treadmills and and um and the the incline trainer thing and um yeah, I said that, you know, I don't think that it's, they're not accurate for one. And, um, you know, outside of what I, I don't know if I said this too on the comment, but I was saying, I've said this to other people, but I just feel like it doesn't prepare you for competition because, you know, I know a lot of guys who train on treadmills and, and when it comes time to compete, um, in real mountain races, they typically are underperformed in, in terms of what they think they can do. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, you look at an incline trainer it doesn't calculate uh, elevation gain properly. Um, it, 40% on incline trainer does not feel like 40% on terrain. Um, the earth feels different. You know, it's you have a you, it's very responsive when you're running on a treadmill, but when you're on 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 on, on uh, terrain and, and dirt or mud or grass, you know, you're losing some of that. You know, bounce and there's not that much bounce and response, and so you're kind of sinking in a little bit more, and so. There's a lot of things people don't take into account. You know, these these trainers, you know, if you're competing for a, a treadmill incline trainer race, sure, it's a great tool, but there's no races like that and no races that are really um, going to pay your bills doing stuff like that. And so yeah. I just don't, I don't see it as being efficient. Well, my theory was that, first of all, when you get fixed uh, on that environment, you're you're going to change your posture. It just changes access to musculature. 
and it puts you in a bad place. And it, you, habitually doing it, it can actually make you a, better, a worse runner. Make you slow, that's for sure. Yeah, well, that was my thought. So my, my theory is, you know, I don't want, I don't, first of all, I don't train survivors. If somebody comes to me for help and they, they're just trying to survive, they got the wrong guy. I want people to perform better than they used to perform and hopefully win. And uh, I just didn't see that as a winning strategy, as a training uh, modality. That's my theory. Yeah, I see a lot of guys that do that. And it's, it's so funny. I have not seen anybody have real success at it um, in mountain races. Uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of guys in OCR who do it, and they, they probably have some level of success. But when it comes to, like, real mountain running, they, they don't have that same success. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't parlay. It doesn't trade over, does it? No, no, not really. So what's up for 2017, man? Um, 2017 is gonna be interesting, man. I, I have a couple. Uh, I'm still I'm signed to Merrill still, and so uh, there's a couple of new projects that um, I'm working with them, and one being uh, footwear, um, kind of a signature footwear, and cool. just kind of working on that. And then um, uh, that's that's something I'm really really focused on. And then uh, on top of that, just project wise, there's a couple. Uh, races and uh, mountains that I'm going to be looking to uh, explore and, and see how fast I can get up them. You're talking about Merrill as a sponsor. I love their shoes, by the way. Oh, good. Uh, I know that historically, I know where you've been. I won't even bring it up, but I know where you've been. As a rule, what is the type of shoe you like to train and race in? And I'm referring to just kind of common structures, and you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I for racing, it depends on really the terrain. Um, I am a more of a minimal type. Uh, I do like minimal type of shoes for racing. Um, and even on occasion for, um, for training. But, uh, for example, like Merrill has all out, um, they're all, all out charge is a really good shoe. Um, they've got the new one coming out, which is going to be the agility, uh, the agility flex line that's coming out. And, um, you know, these are really great shoes for training. They allow the foot to flex, uh, naturally and um you know I, I like shoes like that that let my foot really get get a good flex natural natural flex um and and you know they have some protection if i'm running there's there's a version that has really good protection uh, which is the peak and you know great for if you need protection on technical terrain but um in terms of racing um the all out crush light um very light very minimal shoe um definitely lets your feet and your toes splay and, you know, gives your forefoot enough space to splay and so that you can get that power from your feet and your toes. And so, you know, I like those types of shoes. And, and for the most part, you know, Merrill's been really great at making shoes like that for me. I think that's amazing. I really think that's amazing. So I'm sorry, to cu I cut right into you and I apologize for that, but I just had to get that out. I really want to hear your point on the shoe. So tell me, uh, you were talking about what the 2017 is holding. You said you're keeping your deal with Merrill, but what's going on after that? Uh, yeah, man, I, I'm going to get into um, hopefully try a couple new races and then um, uh, going after a couple uh, records this year that uh, I didn't go after last year. And, yeah, um, a couple of national championships I'll be pushing after this year and just really focusing on trying to, um, you know, win some titles and um, and just compete, you know, with the best guys. And uh, I'll go over to Europe again and, and do some big races over there. And um, I'm excited for it, man. It's going to be a cool 2017. I mean, so far it started off pretty well. Uh, did a little bit of traveling. Um, 
to Switzerland and Mexico to start my season off in cross country and, uh, you know, great experiences and, uh, you know, great, uh, look at the culture and the, the look of, uh, those types of races in other countries. Cause I've only typically done, you know, mountain races in Mexico and, and in Switzerland. So it was my first time doing, you know, cross country in these countries and kind of getting a, a feel for what that's like there. And, um, you know, being able to do a national championship in Mexico for cross country is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been crushing it. No question about it, Joe. And I'm, I'm very proud of you. I said it once already, but I'm saying it, by the way, uh, everybody needs to know it's going to be your birthday tomorrow. What are you going to be a whopping 33 years? old? <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> 33. Yep. I got clothes older than you, dude. Yeah, man. Well, if I was your age, I could eat that. You know, I could go to IHOP and get that discount. <laughs> but... Yeah. You know what I should do is I should run in and get some and we'll share it. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, hey, that sounds good to me. man. Uh, yeah. No, you know, you probably break the bank too. And IHOP, man, I, what do you, Oh, geez. I can't imagine trying to push in 6,000 calories at Joe, Joe Gray. Well, when they, um, when they do the, the all you can eat pancakes, it's a pretty easy feat to do. <laughs> well, look, man, I appreciate you coming on with me. I, I'm, I've been thinking about you and I'm going to keep an eye out for you. Uh, any shout right. outs, anything you want to throw out while you, you got the mic? Um, no, I mean, I guess, you know, just, you know, thank you to you and um, people like you who uh, promote the sport and, you know, really focus on the things that matter in the sport. And, you know, thank you to my sponsors and also my fans who uh, who have supported me and, and uh, keep their eyes out for me. And, um, yeah, just keep me in your thoughts and I'll keep you in mind. All right, brother. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.